Good afternoon as we welcome along our vet, Dr. Robert Stabler. Hello, Dr. Bob. How are you? Good, thanks, Dave. How are you? Always good to have you here with us for another Pet Chat session. Now, we've also got uh, here right until uh, 1 o'clock today taking calls. So if people have any questions, you'd be more than happy to answer those for them. Very true. And what about a topic today? Are you looking at what to feed our dogs or feeding our dogs? Yes, in, in line with the complicated topic I spoke about last time, walking your dog, I thought, well, um, let's talk about feeding your pet. It's a welcome along to Daniel Carrington and a very special guest joining us, Daniel. Yes, we do. Thanks, Dave. Deb Seldon's on the line and she's going to talk to us about bull terriers. Hello, Deb. Thanks for joining us. Hi, Danny. Great to be here. Look, bull terriers, can you describe what the dog looks like? Uh, Bull terriers are a strongly built, deep-chested, muscular dog of medium size, but their distinguishing feature, which sets them apart from most other breeds, is they've got an egg-shaped head, Mm. which is like a down-faced Roman nose, they call it. Yes. And they've also got little triangular, deep-set eyes. Yes, their head looks quite different to most other dogs, doesn't it? Yes, some people call them pig dogs and, oh, they look like pigs, but, I mean, they don't, but they're really... A different-looking dog, but um, once you've had one, they look really cute. <laughs> well, what, um, what's the history of the breed? Uh, what was it bred to do, and where did it come from? They were originally bred in England in the 1800s um, for fighting, mm-hmm. because back in those days, the you know, the, the old Englishman's um, sort of uh, choice of, of entertainment was quite um, bloodthirsty with bull baiting and dog fighting and that kind of thing. Um, so bull terriers were bred for that, but now they're um, fantastic companions. They're often referred to as, as, and they still are, as gladiators mm. because of their courage and bravery. Well, they, they do. You, you see that muscle tone on them as well, don't you? Oh, they're just a ball of muscle. They're rock hard. They're as tough as nails. Yeah, they're, they're really tough dogs, you know, physically. Um, they can be sooks. Um, in their personality and really they're super affectionate they're really wow. really athletic um, playful clowns of the dog world is another thing that they're called because they're just so playful and and um, very intelligent dogs but they can be really stubborn and obstinate so they need a bit of training okay. um, not to uh, sort of get away with being too naughty how long have you had the breed um, I've been involved because my mum breeds um, miniature bull terriers, which there's two different bull terriers. There's the normal regular bull terrier, but there's also a miniature version. My mum breeds those, and, and I have a, a, a standard bull terrier. Um, I've been involved for over 10 years in the breed. Wow. Um, and in regards to the two varieties, what about the colour range? Okay. Um, the most commonly recognised colour is white, um, but they bull terriers... Both bull terriers and miniature bull terriers also come in brindle, black, red fawn and tricolour, which is basically a black coat. Then they've got white legs, white strop on their face and a little bit of brown on their points. Okay. And in regards to the the general health of the of the dog, of that breed, is there anything that um, someone who might be interested in the breed needs to worry about or be concerned about? Well, they're generally a really robust, healthy dog, but... They do can suffer from um, uh, kidney disease, mm-hmm. um, and like many many years ago, the breed was almost wiped out, and it was traced because of kidney disease and kidney failure. But it was traced back to one dog that was imported from the UK, and breeders have been really smart, and they've actually almost eradicated it 
from their lines, but you still need to be careful and just just double check that um, breeders actually do health tests or are, you know, ha- have gone out of their way to, to avoid this um, kidney disease. They can also suffer from deafness, I guess, because of the white. Mm-hmm. But a lot of bull terriers, like they'll have a black patch on their eye or their ear, which sort of negates any deafness problem. And some also have luxating patellas. But you know, they're basically a, a healthy, robust breed. Now, being that it's a terrier. Um, what kind of family or people would this breed be suited to? Um, do we need to be a bit worried because it's a terrier? No, not at all. They're a really misunderstood breed. They're a fantastic, loving, affectionate, playful um, dog. Um, great for active families. But again, I do stress you do need to, you know, firm training at the mm-hmm. start because they, they can be really stubborn. Yeah. And again, they're fantastic. They love kids. But they're so boisterous, they can knock them over. So, but with any breed, you need to have um, supervision by adults. You know, don't leave little kids alone around any breed of dog, really. But bull terriers are more likely to knock them over than do anything else. Anything else, yes. Look, if someone is interested in bull terriers, what websites could you recommend in terms of getting information? Um, Well, the best place is actually on Facebook. Mm -hmm. Um, The Northern Districts Bull Terrier Club of New South Wales is actually based here in the Hunter region, and they can be accessed at the public website. And people can get on there and source breeders, ask questions. It's a really good website. They also have all their upcoming specialty shows, most of which are held at Hillsborough Dog Show Grounds. And people can come along, they can bring their pet bull terriers and talk to breeders and just generally have a great day out with clowns, clownish (laughs) bull terriers. (laughs) Thank you very much for that. Um, Lovely to have you on the show and for informing us about the lovely bull terrier. No worries, any time. Thanks, Danny. For our vet, Dr. Bob, we've got Helen on the line. Helen, how are you going? I'm okay, thanks. Uh, could you tell me how I could stop my cat from urinating wherever he wants to? How old is the cat? Eight. And he's a boy? Yeah. And are there other roaming cats outside very much? Do you know, Have you heard any cat fights outside lately? Yeah, his litter mate goes out and the cat next door comes yeah. over. There'll be a fight. Yeah, so, and does this one go outside or just the other one? Yes, they go outside of a morning. Yeah. The big thing I find doing behaviour work is that there's um, the competition, office politics, if you like, with all the other cats outside. They get upset about that. They then try and make their own home smell more like them, and that's why they urinate. You'll often find it'll be more towards doors, windows, on lounges. Um, on uh, furniture that are near the places where they might see the other cats. That can also cause fighting between them. Probably the best thing to do is to try and keep them inside a bit more. I know that's hard if they've been used to going outside, but you need to give them a multiple litter trays in multiple locations so they've got various places where they can mark their territory. Usually best, I know it doesn't sound good, but near doors and windows again so that they can say, this is what our house smells like, stay away. If you're keeping them instead inside, then try and put um, some citrus peels or mothballs in the garden outside to keep the other roaming cats away. So you're repelling the possible trigger that causes them to want to mark urine inside the house. 
The other way to mark territory is scratching posts, so you try and have a few of those around, and you try and dissipate stress by playing as much as you can with both of them, and that helps to keep them a bit busy on good things rather than just on territory marking. All right, 49216216 if you'd like to call Pet Chat. We've got Sandy with us now for Dr Bob. Sandy, how can I help you? Hi, how are you going? Good. Um, can I just quickly correct the lady on the bull terriers? There's yes. many, ty- many types of bull terriers. She was actually talking about a Yorkshire bull terrier. Okay, all right. Now, can I please ask a question about my cat? Yes, go for it. <laughs> um, she's pure white. She's 14. Um, two years ago, she started to get a little incontinent and weaning everywhere. There was no changes in the house. Yep. She's um, now totally incontinent and has to be fully outside. When you say incontinent, she would be lying asleep and the wee would dribble out? Yes. She walks along and it's just running out. Okay, and so now, that's, that's to do with... it looks like her uterus is starting to come out. You need to take her down to the vet and get her examined very shortly because um, that doesn't sound very good. Um, at um, If it started over a year or so or two years ago, there's some me- some medical or physical problems that are happening there. The incontinence could also be related to arthritis and old age, so she certainly needs a vet exam as soon as possible. There you Thanks, go, Sandy. Sandy. Please take that tip. Get her to a vet as soon as possible. That would be great, and we hopefully everything goes all right for you. Let's go to Ellie Barner now. We've got Dennis waiting patiently there. Hello, Dennis. There you go, mate. All right? Good. How can we help you, Dennis? Um, I've got a husky Kelpie cross, 12 years old this January, coming. He's got a small lump on his chest, about a 10-cent piece. And how long... How long? I can move it. It doesn't bother him at all. I'm just wondering whether I should get it investigated. Always good to get lumps checked. Um, the important thing about lumps is if they change in size, margin, colour, consistency. Well, the colour I can't tell, but I'm just yep. keeping an eye on the size. It hasn't changed. I was just lucky to find it, actually. Yeah, and good to know when it started and what sort of progress. They can grow quickly and then stop and plateau, but it's best to get the bet to, to check it out. They can do a, a aspirate of the lump to see whether it is... Often older animals have fat cell sort of lumps, but there can be other nastier ones. And if he is 12, the older we get, the less our body's immune system can recognise cancer and other, other strange changes in our body. So that's why these things take off. So we need to get them checked out. So it'd be good to get him down and also check everywhere else, especially the lymph nodes, um, draining that particular area of the chest. So under the arm or up around the neck or um, on the shoulders. And Leslie joins us now from Mayfield. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. Um, I just wanted to ask you, I have spoken to you before, but I sort of haven't got a solve, solved the problem. Yep. I've got a male cat, and I'm starting to write it down and work out how often this happens, but just probably a couple of times a week, or sometimes it doesn't happen for ages, and then all of a sudden when he licks me, he doesn't go outside, he's an indoor cat. Good. And when he licks me, Honestly, it feels, it smells like he's eaten a dead bird. And he, the saliva, the smell of the saliva left on like my hands or my face, it's just putrid. But I'm starting to write it down and see if there's some kind of pattern because I can't work out what it is. Yep. And you've had his anal glands checked? 
I know no. that's a problem mainly in dogs, but it might be a good idea to get him down to your regular vet to get that checked because that's a, a pretty pretty putrid smell. If he's been yeah. grooming and cleaning himself, then that bit on the tongue and he's um, yeah just saying hello to you. To, and he uh, licks my face. That's just great. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry for that. Um. Actually, I did notice not long ago, when he went past me behind his tail, I thought, now I can smell it at the other end. So yes. that's only a new thing. Yeah, so it may be so that should he's... Should I take him to the vet? It would be a good idea and uh, just to get him checked out to make sure there's no infections there. If it is a okay. recurrent thing, then he might be a bit stressed about something. But anal glands are very interesting in dogs and cats. They, they, It's only particular animals that problems happen in them. They can get cancer as they get much older, but... Okay. Yeah, I think it's very important for them. You can have it for two weeks, you won't notice it. Like yes. this morning, he licked my face, and I thought, oh, that smell, it was under my nose. I thought, oh, no, not again. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> yes, that would be best to get him checked so that you know that everything's okay down in that department. Right here, let's continue. 49216216. Another question about a canine. This one from Michelle at Stockton. Michelle, how can I help you? It's Cheryl. Oh, not sorry. Michelle. Um, yeah, my dog, Bundy. Um, I'll just turn the radio down. Good girl. He's um, scratching his ears, inside his ears, and um, he's crying all the time. And he rubs his head on the floor and on, on the lounge, and he um, he shakes his head all the time, and he's crying with it. And I just noticed him then like a bit of fluid come out. Yeah, very important to get him down to your regular vet again so that you can check out for ear mites or an ear infection. With, I thought it might have been mites. Yeah, with the with the rain that we had a little while ago and now this really hot um, spell that we just had, then there is some chance of some fungus or bacteria getting involved. Depends on how wide right. his ear canals are. They need to be cleaned regularly with an appropriate solution. Uh, there are a couple of proprietary brands. Um, and if you keep them relatively clean, that's good. Um, but if he's down at the beach often, then that can sort of get a bit of water in there that's not of the right type if you like and can predispose them to infection so very important to to check your ears of your dog or, or cat regularly um, but certainly sounds like he's got an ear infection with that rubbing and the scratching and 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 shaking his head all right thank you for the call cheryl and 49216216 if you'd like to get through for pet chat to talk to dr bob our vet what about your topic today feeding your pet what can you tell us about that well it's not that tricky really but it is so the important thing is to feed them a few times a day. Cats love to graze, so they love to wander around and explore their environment. So if you hide a few little bits everywhere, then that gives them something else to do. They're more likely to jump up on a shelf or, or move around or investigate under something. So by using that environmental enrichment, it helps them to use their brain and they get food as a reward for doing the exploration. In dogs, same, similar sort of thing. There's lots of different problem-solving toys that you can get where the dog has to push back some plastic bits to try and get to the, the dry food. You can scatter the food on the grass. You can hide it in a towel so it has to run wrap the towel or in a cardboard box. Good to feed if you can um, dogs generally two to three times a day. We eat three times a day, so why shouldn't they? Um, there's an old myth about eating first before your animal. That's not really... Um, important. Um, it's just that the important thing is that the dog earns earns that food, so it has to do the right thing: sit, stay, drop, shake, wait, and that helps them to learn and to be feel comfortable about. Yes, the the um, owner or family member is a, a leader in their group, and the other thing about feeding is that 
It's the amount. So if you're feeding three times a day, especially if you've got a deep-chested dog, you reduce the chance of bloat, which is when an animal eats a whole lot of food, does a bit of play, rolls over. It can twist its stomach. It can be dead in four hours. So if we give them little meals often, then it helps them to actually reduce that chance. The other thing with feeding a bigger dog, it's good to actually put it on a stool to elevate the food so it doesn't have to lean down as far. So imagine a giraffe drinking. They have to get right down so that when they're drinking, the, the, the water doesn't have to go up quite as far from a vertical point of view. Some of the other things about feeding is if you've got a couple of dogs it's really important to separate them totally. A door in between them, put it down for 10 minutes. If they don't eat it, pick it up, put it away again, halfway through the day, try it again, so that they're not actually competing for that food bowl that might be empty or might not be. But it's um, food is a really high-valued resource, so we've got to be really careful about what we do with that high-valued resource. So feeding dogs totally separately, if you give a bone, same thing, Really important to give it um, in a separate position. Some dogs will have a reasonable hierarchy, but if you put something that's highly valuable there, you can create some office politics. Joining us now from Bishop's Bridge, we've got Julie for you, Dr. Bob. Julie, how can I help you? Well, hello. Look, I, I, I'm aware this question's been asked before, but I haven't heard the answer. Um, I have a young uh, poodle, she's seven, yep. and she eats her own feces. And how long has she been doing that for? I've tried lots of different things. I've heard banana words, but, you know, I've changed her diet. Yep. Uh, I've chased her. <laughs> Any other dogs in the house or just her? Yeah, I have six dogs. Six dogs? Yeah. Yeah, so there will be some office politics happening in there. Eating poo can be related to anxiety, can be related to frustration, can be worms, can be associated with digestive problems. So what you can try is giving all of the animals a, regular, a more regular worming um, to make sure they're all healthier. Um, and if she has done it since a puppy, though, it is her possible genetic predisposition to anxiety expression. So it means that the more stressed she is, the more likely she is to eat poo, and whether it's her own or the other dog's, so try some probiotics in the food so that it reduces, returns their bowel to a normal bowel uh, biomass or flora. Try worming them all out regularly. There can be, as I said, anxiety issues. So just make sure compatible dogs are with each other and they're not being overstressed by one or a bully or something like that. And um, the other option is to try some special intestinal type food that helps to reduce the sensitivity of the stomach. So it means they're not as willing to, or wanting to go and eat poo. And if you can, try and not let her lick your face after she does it. Now, Daniel, our Pet Rescue Animal of the Week, what have we got today on the 2 and URFM website? Well, we've got Misty Star. Her name is Misty Star, and uh, she sounds a little bit like a cocktail because she's Mastiff cross Wolfhound with a bit of a splash of Sharpay. How's that sound? <laughs> yeah, a bit of everything. <laughs> Mixed breed, that sounds fair. Now, look, Misty Star, we might be laughing, but she's a beautiful dog. She's got great social skills. She's one and a half years old. 
She is currently living in a foster home with children that are aged 18 months and 4 years. She doesn't jump all over them. She loves them. She loves being with them. And she's very gentle with them. She's also great with other dogs. So she's got excellent doggy social skills and loves being um, with them. And she's great with cats as well. And she's gentle with the cats. Um, in her current foster care environment, there are birds and rabbits and there's an aviary and there's chickens. They're all kept in separate yards. But this does not fuzz her. She's really good with all the other animals. Um, she's currently sleeping outside in a kennel, but she's allowed indoors and outdoors and she loves the environment. She loves also swimming. So if you've got a home for her and you live close to the lake or close to the beach, she's going to love being in that pool and that will also wear her out too. So good energy and when she comes back home, she'll be she'll be nice and asleep and calm. So if you are interested in Misty Star, you can contact Anita on 0400 we do have a, a picture of Misty Star on the 2NURFM Pet Chat uh, website. You can have a look there. Dr. Bob, he's our favourite. Well, he's my favourite at the moment. I, but then again, I switch a bit, you know. <laughs> Each I haven't week. seen Dr. David for a while. I haven't seen him for a while. But Dr. Bob's my favourite at the moment, so that's good. Because Dr. David hasn't been around and... You change your favourites <laughs> like you change your underwear, Dave. <laughs> what? Cl- closest vets are the, are the happiest vets. Michael from Greta, you've got a question about a pussycat. How can we help you, Michael? Um, yeah, we've got this um, desexed uh, Tom. Yep. And uh, we've had him for about oh, seven years since he was a kitten. We got him from the RSPCA. We're moving at the end of the year. We want to take him with us, but he's more an outside cat than an inside cat. We're a bit scared that once we move, he'll want to try and head home to what he considers home anyway. How far away are you going? Um, oh... Different suburb or different town? Yeah, different, different suburb, yeah, definitely different suburb. Yeah. Uh, depends on the animal. If they have been mainly outside, some cats will settle in very nicely when they're inside, providing you give them enough enrichment, enough other things to do. The big problem usually is toileting. So if you were to transition him to being more of an inside cat, it's important to keep him in a bit more often, especially um, during the night or around the morning. Uh, uh, dawn and dusk because that's when they tend to be a bit more active um, that's the time when they go out and they either um, most cats stay pretty close to home but there are some that will wander for kilometers away um, if you are going to move then it's when you move sorry it's you need to keep him inside totally for at least a month or two to do that you may need to actually provide just a single room for him to be in with appropriate litters, litter tray and scratching post and toys and food and um, cat channel on the telly <laughs> or just helping him to have other things to keep his mind busy. The problem with outside compared to inside is there's so many different things that are going on out there that we really need to try and um, replicate or make it more interesting and that's really our attention. So the more attention we give, the more likely they are to stay inside and be happy. Now, we just learned that it's an outdoor cat. What's your thoughts on the outdoor cats having bells around their neck? Because they can do some damage to the, the wildlife. The, the native wildlife is the big concern. The problem is that there was a study done a few years ago that said that the more bells a cat has on its neck, the more likely it is to be a hunter, Oh, which is um, science, really. It 
was looking at the wrong question. So the more bells a cat has on, the more likely the people know that the cat is a hunter and they're trying to put more bells on it to stop it from hunting. Yeah. Really, cats are very intelligent. Instead of being wandering around to find the prey, they actually will sit still and wait for the prey to come to them. So they can keep the bells still on their collar, sometimes even putting their leg against the collar so it doesn't um, jingle. And then when the animal comes in range... It, it jumps, so, yeah. Now, just to finalise, just quickly, because we're running out of time, your topic today, feeding your pet, any last comments on that? No, it's just always being aware of what the animal's like. We didn't talk about types of food, um, but I'm sure someone has done that at some point. It's just being aware that it's like us, you know, we love our food, there is there needs to be a bit of variety. We need to look at it from their angle, and that means the more we are aware of them, they are sentient creatures, then the more we can develop relationship with them. Okay, there you go. Some great tips there on feeding your pet. Daniel, any uh, uh, dog meetings this week? Do we have any local dog uh, dog shows? No, no local dog shows this week, so we can have a rest okay. and, and watch for them, I think, in the coming weeks. Okay. Yeah. Well, thank you for today, for being part of it. I think we've got Cheryl back with us next week. Next week. That's and right. to Dr. Bob, thank you so much. Thank you. Bye. Dr. Robert Stabler joining us. It is Pet Chat. We do it every Wednesday, and we love having your input. Thank you to those who phoned through today. We'll do it again next Wednesday from midday at 2 on URFM.